Good morning. Let's see if I can do this. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come and share this morning. Um, if you were here the last time I spoke, uh, fear not. Last time I spoke here, I recapped a 31-week sermon series in one sermon, and it was a uh, high-octane, Red Bull-fueled, speedy sermon. I will not try and do that again. We're going to read today from Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, and while you turn there in your Bibles, I'll go ahead and open with a word of prayer. God, thank you for this time. We have gathered together to receive from you today, and Lord, I do, I, I, I lay this all at your feet, and I pray, God, that you would do what you want done here today. This is your service, Lord. Be glorified here in what is done and said. Your will be done. Lord, help us to receive your word with meekness, that we would grow in grace and in our knowledge of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 22, 31 and 32. Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to Simon Peter. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There is a lot to grasp in these two short verses. There is, uh, there's a ton. There's some intriguing theology, some amazing concepts, powerful truths, and reassuring encouragement. And I will not attempt to tackle all of that this morning. Uh, we're going to stick to some of the concepts in this passage, and starting with being sifted. My family and I are becoming quite familiar with what it means to be sifted, um, I will share with you some of what this last year, year and a half has consisted of for us. Um, my family, my wife Bernadette, some of you know, she's an amazing woman. We have three wonderful children, Tyler, who is 27, Tiffany, who is 16, who has blessed me with her presence this morning and joined me, and our son Seth is our youngest. He's 15, he is six foot four and 190 pounds, um, and, so, and this is where the sifting uh, it lies. Um, our son, Seth, we have experienced some behavioral issues with him and not just the normal teenage rebellion type stuff. Um, it exceeds that um, and, and has been escalating um, to the point where the police had to be involved on a few occasions at our home. And it's a scary situation. It is difficult and it is painful. Um, he is right now, and I would ask that you, you pray for him and for us. Um, he, he's currently in a residential facility getting therapy and counseling, as are we, that we may be reconciled. Um, and I, I can tell you it is, it, it, it's a difficult thing from a parental standpoint. And from what I know, God says, I am the head of my household and I have responsibilities, and I can't fix it, and I can't make it work, and it's not coming together, and it is challenging. And so from that then, you have, I have 
Uh, we have challenges in our marriage, Bernadette and I. And that makes things continuously challenging. And then from there, even parenting my daughter, Tiffany, I question myself. It is difficult. And there are times and there are days where all I feel is hurt. Add to that challenges at work. As, we, as we're dealing with these things on the home front, I, I have some difficulties at work, and my boss calls me and tells me I'm being transferred to a different store, and I'm grateful, really, for the opportunity to continue employment. I'm thankful that they see value in me and want me, want me to continue with the company, and uh, so I, I look at it in that light. Um, when transferred to the new store, about 30 days into my new move, they said, hey, we're making another change, and they made some other moves, and by the way, here's your new schedule. And my new schedule was 95% closing shifts, night, being there at, at nighttime, late shifts. And I looked at it, and I said, we need to discuss this because this doesn't work. And so we, we discussed it, my boss and I, and then his boss and I, and they, uh, I was told, this is the schedule for the position at this store. Have it. And I said, well, that doesn't work for me. And so my boss's boss called me and said, so if the schedule doesn't work, what are you going to do? Just go find another job? I said, well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Because there's two things important, I think, when it comes to work, employment. One would be your pay and the other would be your schedule. And the schedule doesn't work. And for me, I give that a little higher priority. And so... I join the ranks of the unemployed because that usually fixes everything. <laughs> and so as we talk about sifting, what happens to us when we are sifted is very similar to what happens to wheat and flour when it is sifted. We are, we are separated. We are reduced to fragments of ourselves. We are exposed. And we are feeling like we're falling apart. This is where I am. This is where we are as a family. And it's not fun. For those of you who have been sifted, those who are currently going through life's trials, and those who will, if you are called by the name of Christ, to be sifted, I'm here to testify that it is not fun. And the one thing you want is for it to be over. You want it to just be done. However, we know that God is working in and through these times and circumstances. One of the biggest dangers when you are going through life's trials, one of the biggest challenges when you are being sifted is the tendency to withdraw. And I believe this is more a man thing, but I know it happens with women as well. We draw back. We withdraw and whether it is from a sincere desire to not burden someone else with your stuff, because everyone has life going on and I don't need to heap this on somebody else, or whether it is from embarrassment, whether it is from shame, because you shouldn't have to deal with this stuff. You shouldn't be going through this. Come on. So whether it is embarrassment and shame, 
it's not the right answer to step away. Isolating ourselves will lead us to a place of great darkness. And it's a place you do not want to go. I am blessed and I'm grateful because I have a couple of friends who are nosy. And if you have those friends, be thankful for them. They're important in our lives. And they, they refuse to let me die on the vine. I'm, I'm thankful for them. And they'll let me rant and they'll let me cry and ramble. And they'll always bring me back to God and His Word. And we need those people in our lives. And if you are going through these things and no one is reaching out to you, raise your hand. Shoot off a signal flare. Wave a flag. Do something to get someone's attention. Because we are not intended to do these things alone. We are mostly, all of us are probably familiar with the old saying, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. None of us are in this alone. And yes, at the very root of it all, God has promised us that he will never leave or forsake us. And he is faithful. And in that, he uses his people as well. Allow him to do that. As you go through these things, it is important and difficult to reach out to meet the needs of others when you are going through these trials. But I'm telling you, it is an important facet of what we must do. You have to look for opportunities to meet the needs of others. And it's tough when all, you're, when all you're doing is looking at the challenges you're facing. But I promise you this, you will be blessed when you do. If nothing else, it can serve as a temporary distraction from what you're dealing with. But it is much more than that. It is much more than that because we take our eyes off of ourselves. We put our eyes on the needs of others. And we can be a blessing to those around us. We release that white-knuckle grip on our issues and allow God and others to come in and help us handle them, to share those burdens. It's a beautiful thing. And as the Scripture was shared early on, another thing that we must do is maintain an attitude of gratitude we have to keep that heart of thanksgiving, and it is difficult. But even while you're going through it, give thanks. Give thanks to God. Give thanks for Him being in your life. Give thanks to Him for your salvation. And recognize the blessings that you still maintain. After telling Simon Peter that he's about to be sifted, what does Jesus tell him? He throws in this little three-letter word that I have become a big fan of when God places it in Scripture. I've shared this before, and I'll continue sharing it. See, I love when God drops this little three-letter word into a Scripture because oftentimes it means He's about to do something big. He's about to confound the minds of people. He is about to impose His game-changing will. His sovereignty and overriding authority are about to be revealed. Jesus says, but. And that's that little three-letter word. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. 
but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And I know when we, when we pray and we have people praying for us, our eyes and heart and mind should be focused on the one to whom we pray. Amen? This is the one exception, and it's not an exception to keep our eyes off of God, but this is the one time when we can actually look to the one who is praying as well. Because I'm here to tell you that the Messiah, the chosen one of God, the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ, has prayed that our faith may not fail. And if there is anyone we know who knows how to pray, if there is anyone who knows the right words to say, and anyone in whom we can have the utmost confidence that their prayers will be answered, I would say that is Jesus. And so, we can put our faith in the fact that the Messiah has prayed. He has prayed that your faith not fail. This is good news. This is what is my encouragement as I go through these things. Knowing that Jesus has prayed that my faith may not fail. We need to remember that this is his present day ministry. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of glory. And he ever lives, scripture says, to intercede for us. This knowledge gives me these, these glimpses and these waves of encouragement. As we go through the valleys, I can see those peaks. There are a couple other similarities to sifting wheat and us being sifting. Sifting removes impurities. That's a good thing. It gets rid of the stuff that is a hindrance to it being used properly. And so it is true of us that God will remove things from us that are preventing us from being used properly. There's another interesting aspect of sifting. If you take a cup of flour, you take a cup of flour and scoop it up, level it off, flatten it down and pack it down and put it into the sifter and hold that sifter over the cup and start sifting the flour back into that cup, you're removing impurities. You're taking stuff out of it. But guess what? That cup will no longer contain that flour because it increases in volume. It occupies more space. And I believe, too, that as we get sifted, as we go through these things, that God will do more through us, beyond the sifting. Someone can say hallelujah to that. This, this too is good news as we are sifted. So Jesus has prayed that our faith not fail. And he then says, And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And this is awesome because he is saying that he will use the stuff we go through that we endure, that we overcome. He will use it to be a blessing and encouragement and to strengthen our brothers and sisters. That is part of the expanding, the, the occupying more space. There's an aspect 
from the Hebrew language that is in this scripture that is not in, in all other translations, and that is an aspect of repentance. And so it would read, when you have turned in repentance, strengthen your brothers. So what we know happened shortly after Jesus spoke these words to Simon Peter. Simon Peter denied Jesus three times. Now that was not the sifting. His sin was not the sifting, and being sifted is not sin. When you are being sifted, you are taken to a place where where there are things, there are temptations that will surround you as you are going through these things. And this, Peter had just witnessed the arrest of Jesus and there is commotion all over the place and everything he thought he knew seemed to be falling apart. And so when he was questioned, hey, aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? He said, no, I don't know the guy. Must be somebody else. And I can tell you more times than Peter, I have denied the lordship of Jesus in my life going through this. And no, I have not had someone approach me and say, hey, you're going through a tough time. Aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? And then openly say, no, I don't even know him. I don't know what you're talking about. That's not it. But in my attitude, in my behavior, and in my actions, I have denied the lordship of Jesus. And it is a crushing, crushing place to be when you recognize what you have done. And I have certainly repented and continue to ask God to search my heart, to bring me to a place where every step and every confidence is in Him and Him alone. That every step would be a simple step of faith, And I can tell you from experience that it is an amazing place to live when you are walking by faith. When all you have is God on whom to rely, it is amazing to see what He will do in our lives. And there can be unease and discomfort, but that peace that passes all understanding, it it becomes the undercurrent of your life. It prevents us from going into that temptation of of panic mode. There is something about having none but God on whom to rely. And there is no shadow of doubt. There is only confidence that each time your foot falls, it will land on that sure foundation, though there is no land in sight. Questions arise. As you go through life's challenges. If you're going through hard times, doesn't that just mean you must be in sin? The simple and short answer to that is no. And the scriptures will bear that out. Now, we must differentiate because there are certainly consequences for our actions. If you got a speeding ticket on your way to work this week and were late because of it, that is not an attack of the enemy, okay? That was you doing 60 and a 45. 
and having to take a little time to discuss with an officer exactly why you thought he pulled you over. You got a ticket that was of your own doing. If you have lived on a steady diet of burgers and fries for 40 years and now have high blood pressure as a result, this is not you being overcome by a multitude of symptoms heaped on you by the enemy. This is not a demonic attack. This is a Big Mac attack. <laughs> so does it mean that God is punishing me when I'm going through sifting and trials? There's an element of, of discipline that occurs when we go through these things. Um, but I, I do not believe that it is punishment in and of itself. We are definitely disciplined But more to the point, I I believe the bigger life's challenges, the more God intends to do with you. And whether we like to acknowledge it or not, or whether we want to openly say it or not, it's actually a good thing when the devil knows your name. Consider Job. He went through a lot. All this life has to offer, all that Job knew, was taken from him. His family, his health, wealth, all of it. Why did Satan choose Job? He was a righteous man. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, know this, that our righteousness has Nothing to do with our behavior. It has nothing to do with us doing all the right things all the, right, all the time. Our righteousness is given to us from God through the cross of Jesus Christ. We are blessed with the righteousness of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. We won't turn there right now, but for those who take notes in the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 11 through 17, there's an interesting account. Paul is preaching the gospel, and God is doing mighty works through him. People are being healed. Demons are being cast out. And outsiders are noticing what God is doing through Paul. Actually, they're noticing what Paul is doing. And so they decide they're going to... They're going to Get in on this. They need a piece of that action. And I believe it is motivated by greed for power, greed for money. They wanted to take advantage of it. And so these seven sons of Skeva have conspired, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to capitalize on this opportunity. And so there is a man possessed of a demon, and they approach him, and they say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, we adjure you to leave. Well, there was a problem. And the demon actually spoke through the man to let them know exactly what the problem was. And it was this, they said, the man said, the demon said through the man, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? He was not, they were not known by this demon More importantly, this is as a direct result because their names were not written in the Lamb's book of life. And you see, when we surrender our lives to God, when we begin that right relationship with Him 
through Jesus Christ. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And our names get put on the enemy's list. Being known by God through a relationship with Him by the cross of Jesus Christ is the great matter of life. What I am learning is this. Regardless of the circumstances of life, though all I know and see fall to pieces, and I can't put them back together, and I can't make sense of it, and it all crumbles to dust before my eyes, I must always go back to the foundation. It is the true foundation. No other foundation may be laid but this. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and Him crucified. I can, we must, always return to the base, to the foundation, which is we have been reconciled to God through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. And when rightly related to God through the cross of Christ, the cares of this life will fade and we begin to build anew on that sure foundation. I'm going to close with a word of prayer and I will let you know that after the service, immediately after, if you're here and you would like someone with whom to share a burden, someone with whom to pray. We have people here. You can find me. Sabrina is here. Jason will be around. There are people here who will pray with you and pray for you. We were not designed to do this alone. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves in your presence right now. God, how amazing, how great, and how awesome you are. Thank you, Lord, that you are true to your word and you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. God, right now I just pray those who are going through these challenges, Lord, that they would reach out to you in simple prayer and share that burden with you. We know this. It is quite simple, Lord. It is not easy, but it is quite simple. Jesus, you said, come unto me. And that's what we need to do right now, God. And so I pray that we would each take that step. That we would come unto you, Lord. That we would give you our burdens. And we would take on your yoke, which is easy. Lord, thank you so much for all you have done, for all you are doing. Be glorified in Jesus' name.